Today we're tackling cybersecurity and reminding ourselves that people remain the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That is Telekinetic. yourself. Greetings. I am Mitch. You are here. And Alex Sharonis is in Dallas, where he heads up cybersecurity strategy at Headstorm. You know, there's a theme we've broached on this show a few times, which is that most human beings simply can't imagine alternative realities. A lot of what Alex is going to touch on today comes back to that point. In the cat and mouse game of cybersecurity, the one with the biggest imagination is often the one who wins. Coming all the way from the Big D, let's have a hand for Alex Sharonis. Flavor Flav, are you there? <laughs> I am. Phenomenal. Pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you. Likewise, I'm, I'm happy to be here all the way on the, uh, the third coast. Everyone's got a coast. There's no yeah. coast. There's first coast. There's third coast. There's a uh... brave new world, Mitch. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. You know, thanks again for coming on, Alex. I'm the reason I had you on is and to again, kind of just give a an overview of what the show is about. We really talk about how human progress replaces or reduces human movement. So from the movement of people and maybe cargo or goods to the movement of information and just substituting our own movement with, you know, something that that technology has solved for us and then looking at the social impacts of doing that. So what's, I guess, to start off, what's interesting to me there as far as it relates to cybersecurity is a lot of our younger listeners out there may not recall the days before email or cell phones or laptops when a lot of the most important information was being transported by person and yeah. by other such devices that are very, very much physical. So if you could kind of go back in the time machine into, uh, what was it, maybe pre-86 or something like that, maybe, and just sure. paint for us, like the environment of, you know, how, how did a, an organization go about transporting important information in those days? Yes. Uh, so if I get in my DeLorean and I head back, do you remember Mad Magazine? You remember that? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So my favorite part of Mad Magazine from, from yesteryear was the spy versus spy oh, yeah. comics. And so for people who don't know what the hell that is or don't have the desire to actually Google it, spy versus spy was like a comic series that Mad Magazine had. And they had these two spies and they would just do outlandish stuff back and forth. Everybody ended up getting like, you know, blown up in the end or something so yeah. that you know spoiler alert that's how all of them <laughs> spoiler alert, they all die every time <laughs> every time they're done it's, so it's funny you know I, I think about going back in time and in almost every single one of those cartoons you had one of the bad guys i don't even know which one was the bad guy actually depending <laughs> on which one which which comic it was i suppose but they had always had like a briefcase or something yeah. that they were sneaking around. You remember this? Yeah. They're always 
sneaking around with the briefcase. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, what's in the briefcase? It's got to be something important, right? What's in the briefcase? And so, uh, you know, the idea was at that point in time, if you had sensitive information, that you would have a, uh, a way to take it and transport it from one location to another. And in some situations, one location to several uh, individual locations. Uh, and even in other cases, you know, people got so effective at creating ruses and sending out multiple, uh, you know, ships and, and having, you know, uh, what we refer to nowadays as disinformation, or you'll actually send out false couriers and that type of thing to actually throw the scent off right. uh, the trail of the, the actual target of the sensitive information. All that to say, uh, that's, you know, one of the tactics back, back in that era. You know, computers were very much a thing back then. And, you know, the governments of the world, a lot of the governments of the world were using them already to do some of that espionage-related activity. And, you know, it was uh, an opportunity for the attacker to have a new surface or a new way to reach that information. And uh, we call that just like an attack vector. You know, they were emerging. And as we continued to become interconnected over the decades, those vectors increased uh, commensurately with the amount of net new technology and the amount of connectivity between all of us on a daily minute basis, whatever it might be. In fact, a lot of people uh, nowadays will actually only use that as uh, some of the most secure way to put information in the recipient, the intended recipient's hand or ear. Yeah, that's interesting because it's because it kind of just maintains the human scale of it as far as manageability, right? As opposed to like this drastic increase increase in scope and scale of the technology, meanwhile being juxtaposed with the limitations of us naturally as human beings to manage all of that. That's right. And think about this as silly as it sounds. Even back then, there was either a document or a verbal message that was being delivered. And so was it written on, you know, the 1980s version of a typewriter, which you actually had a screen that was giving you a preview of exactly what you were writing. Well, guess what? There was some memory. There was some local memory that was all the things you were writing was stored. in. So that that's an opportunity right there. Or was it one of the older, you know, typewriters where you were hacking away and all the keys are flying at the, the face of the paper and, and pressing the ink on paper and all that kind of thing. And you think about, you know, <laughs> the age old technique of if someone writes on a, on a pad of paper, like a notepad or like a, in a notebook, you can take a, a pencil behind it, right? And you kind of kind of lightly sketch out and you can see exactly what the hell they were writing or drawing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it, it goes back to the old adage, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. So uh, it's interesting to see. It doesn't mean that we have to have, you know, cloud computing nowadays to have things go all sideways on us. But there was there was all kinds of activity a long time ago. Yeah. If we're talking about that kind of human scale problem and everything, talk to me a little bit about the user as the arguably the weakest link. Absolutely. So we have a, we have a, say, a saying in cybersecurity, and that saying is the weakest link is always the carbon-based life. <laughs> and true to form, as humans, anything that we get our hands on, we're going to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. And, and this, is, this is no exception to that rule, right? You know, we've got a plethora of opportunity We've got uh, all kinds of information at our fingertips nowadays. And at the end of the day, we continue to remain the largest 
problem as it pertains to cybersecurity. Yeah, you know, there's this common thread, which is not surprising to anyone, but always worth doubling down on because we don't pay attention to it. But we, you know, we just keep building solutions, technological solutions for things. And we, we never look inwards to ourselves as, as a source of, uh, of a problem that needs to be fixed. And sure. I think like, like one problem for me that always sticks out is this kind of tragedy of the commons of early I mean, we've gotten better about it. We're still not great, but you know, that this, uh, outgrowth of tools that require passwords. Right. And just, if every tool is thinking in their own head, like I just need to make sure the users of my tool are safe and assuming that for some strange reason, no one in that organization is using any other tool, uh -huh. then you're going to end up putting or putting hurdles around this that are going to eventually climb on top of each other and just amass this burden for the user. That's like, I, I can't do this level of security for 46 different applications. So like F it, I'm just going to make my password password. And now you've ruined everything for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, be, it stops being the, the, the tragedy of commons. And in some of these situations becomes the comedy of commons uh, <laughs> because the way that people roll these, these tools out or these tool sets out. And it, it's, it's totally true now more than ever that a fool with the tool is still a fool. Mm. So, uh, and I think that's particularly relevant in, in this type of a situation because people can go in, in, in days of pre pandemic land, we could go to these, you know, large events and they're going to show us all the latest and greatest technology, whether it's cybersecurity related, whether it's AI related, what you name it. And you're going to walk off the floor and you've got your, you know, 18 different, you know, bags of, of things that you've purchased and only to arrive back at your workplace. And, you know, you're scratching your head, looking at your coworkers and saying, how the hell do I put all this stuff to use? Right. Without, you know, uh, to your point earlier, you know, looking inward and saying, hey, what is the most effective way for us to start training our employees? Is it all tools related? Is it all behavior related? Uh, what is the healthy balance? And the answer is always, you know, it depends and it's a combination of the two. Yeah. One of the things that is most commonly overlooked is, you know, personnel training mm -hmm. and having people go through the exercises to understand what the perils are, understand what the dangers are of clicking a link, downloading a document, going to a, a site that's not, you know, been protected or authenticated, shall I say. And all of these things kind of come up, but humans are in fact the weakest link. And we need to be very, very conscious of providing the appropriate amount of training and guidance in this kind of new era of the wild west that we're living in right now. Mm. There's always that balance in, in any new technology or progress, right? Where there's the balance of utility, utility and safety. And, you know, as someone who works a lot in transportation, what I always go back to is like organizations that were developed by the U.S. government to ensure safety for Americans in transportation, like the FAA and uh -huh. the Highway and Traffic uh, Safety Administration, sure. like their stated goals on their origination documents are at odds with each other. It's like the FAA's stated goal is promote air travel and also be safe. And it's like, well, the safest air travel is obviously not getting on a plane. That is, that's <laughs> clear, right? So we have this very nebulous, like we want both the things and we can't prescribe for you the, you know, the window of tolerance that we have, but um, please go do both of them well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem like there's a problem there at all, right? <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's the way I always kind of think about it. And I think that's like, if I uh, worked in cybersecurity and was big into tattoos, that would be like 
something about a seesaw and like utility and safety would be like a thing I'd have on my back maybe or my neck if I was a real badass. But <laughs> you have to do the neck tat. I mean, you're yeah, not actually okay. passionate about something until you get the neck tat. That's <laughs> <laughs> passion is directly related to how high your tattoo is up on your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's actually a a less known way of quantifying the level of success of people in cybersecurity is the amount of neck tats. Um, <laughs> so it, it's funny, you talk about safety, you talk about kind of mission statements, and sometimes they're at odds with one another. And you think about transportation too, with your background, and you look at the automobile. In our lifetime, there became legislation that required people to actually buckle their seatbelts. <laughs> Before our time, there was not not too much before. They didn't, in some situations, didn't even have seatbelts in the view. Right. And then you add, the, you know, the ABS, courtesy of the Germans, you add airbags, you add all these types of things, and you think about it. And, and is somebody who is operating a vehicle recklessly going to be a good thing or a bad thing? And you think about that, and you're like, oh, obviously, no shit. It's, obviously, that's not a great thing. That's a bad thing. It's going to be you know, reckless, it's dangerous. It's a one ton, one ton piece of machinery that's hurling down the uh, yeah. spotted line that's separating them from oncoming traffic at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> what could go wrong? And then you think about that from a, a electronic perspective. And while the imminence of the physical danger perhaps are not as readily noticeable, mm. the, the fact that the, there's a huge amount of danger in whatever we're doing uh, as it pertains to whatever our job is, whatever our systems that we operate in. And I think the vast majority of us probably just don't appreciate that. And, you know, it's not up to us to decide what is a danger. Yeah. That is up to the bad guys and gals to decide that for us. Yeah, that that old uh, adage of like fear versus danger, right? That like everyone everyone is scared about sharks which are not a thing you should ever be scared of, <laughs> but no one's scared about like throwing their uh, voided check in the trash. <laughs> you don't understand the dangers. We only understand fear. And until you can put fear into someone, which hackers obviously do often, um, they're not going to really respect the, the consequences to your point. Yeah. Sure. One of the, the most notable things in, in recent history is this massive solar winds hmm. attack, attacks, plural, breaches, plural. But one of the, one of the comments was, well, yeah, we actually had our, our intern uh, responsible for uh, security. It's incredible. It is. It's wild. Oh, yeah. So, so on that front, let's get into some details here about that kind of stuff that you do see on a regular basis as, as sure. a security advisor, right? So, like, I mean, one of the telltale things that I always find interesting is, like, how often do people fall for like your and email phishing tests and things like that? But just, just school us on some of the stuff there that is always interesting to see that consistently shows, you know, failure from a security standpoint. Sure. From a uh, phishing training and phishing uh, exercise, companies at the aggregate uh, fail anywhere between 100% and 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, and that's an important point, right? Because it's not, and I think we'll get into this later on too, but like you really are only looking for a market of one as a hacker. And I, I think people seem to forget that, right? That it's like the weakest link is the only link that matters, right? You don't need, 
like to your point, you're saying 100% failure, not because every single person at the org you test fails, but because right. no one fails and that's all that matters. That's right. That's right. That's totally correct. And you know, you can get into the nuance of spear phishing, and if you're trying to have a targeted attack of a specific individual, you, you, that's a little bit different. Your tactics are going to adopt and change a little bit to, to that desired target and outcome. Uh, but at the end of the day, the same principle still exists, which is it only takes one mistake. Yeah. And, it, and it's a very unforgiving mistake. And um, unfortunately, a lot of the times, you know, I grew up being told, you know, you learn more from your mistakes than your, your successes. Uh, I don't know if that's true at this day and age when it comes to cybersecurity. Another good example, you and I were rapping about this one other time, was kind of sitting in the airport. And I think your comment was, what if you just spied on the, on the business travelers that were coming in and out? And oh, dude, I love, like, I can't, I can never get that out of my head when I'm in, specifically in airport, but any public place where you just see so many people, like, I'm hearing at least 50% of like a sales conversation. And it's just like, you make this so easy for me if I actually gave a shit to, to steal this information. And it is, is it even stealing really at that point? If you're like sitting yeah. to me yelling in my face. So I heard what the things you said were, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you're totally right. You're totally right. And, you know, even beyond just the things that what people are saying it, you know, increased, <laughs> increased decibels, uh, on the phone, you've got everybody on the computer, you know, the vast majority mm -hmm. of whom don't have privacy screen. Yeah. And so if you're working on something that's, you know, secretive or sensitive in nature that if you don't have something as basic as that. That's kind of one of the lines of defense and that people just simply don't have it. And even if you zoom out of that entire situation and you kind of, you know, bird's eye view it, there's something that we do uh, in the industry, which is called pineapples. And so we create these uh, spoofed Wi-Fi uh, mm. networks. Mm. And so we will mirror the, the names of some of the, the Wi-Fi networks and you're able to effectively uh, what we call have a, a man in the middle attack and you're being able to see all of the information that passes across the network if somebody associates incorrectly with a cloned wi-fi network right uh and it's not even <laughs> i like to make it sound like it's like particularly like you know technical and you know we got all these types of <laughs> acrobatics to get there but I, i've seen people do it as something as basic as just creating a hotspot and naming it something, uh, you know, Starbucks. relatively innocuous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Starbucks yeah. or, you know, yeah, exactly. In the airport and not having it secure and just having an open connection. Everyone's like, Oh, I'm going to free Wi-Fi. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Go wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, the airport example continues to be one of my favorites to talk about because it is handy from a baby in those types of settings. Really? You know, as someone who talks a lot with organizations about adopting remote work, one of what they think is usually like the best defensive arguments is, oh, you know, we really locked down on our security and blah, blah, blah. And we don't want just anyone working from home, getting a connection in and whatever. It's like, that's a valid point. But like, then also show me your policy on traveling salespeople and executives, right? Mm -hmm. Like what happens when your traveling salesperson just signs on to the, the Wi-Fi of like a client? at the office that they're visiting like doesn't that sound like the exact opposite thing you should be doing from a security standpoint or to your point right just like i'm a vp and i i've traveled to some state to do some business and i'm in a hotel room and it says hyatt and it's open i'm not even staying in the hyatt but 
people are gullible and they're the weakest link. So it's like, oh, cool, good enough. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're just spitting out this information to whoever wanted to collect it. And it's like, <laughs> if you don't have those policies, then what the hell are we really talking about here? Exactly. <laughs> it's wild. That, that's, that's why I call it the Wild West still. It's, it's wild. <laughs> By the way, is there any, any kind of like real juicy stats you want to, for anyone who, again, that fear danger thing, and they're just like, oh, it's not my problem. Like any kind of scope you want to place on this quantifiably, just show people how bad it is. Yeah, let's see. I want to say, I think that the numbers are still coming in from last year. Um, Again, spoiler alert, in a pandemic where everyone's working from home and your opportunity for air goes way high, uh, those numbers went way up. But in 19, uh, I think we closed in on like 11 and a half, 11 to $12 billion in ransomware that was paid. In, in that calendar year. Mm-hmm. We, by the projections that I've, I've been looking at, I think we're on track to hit around 20 billion in 21 for, for ransomware. And, you know, it, it's, it's pretty funny too. So like, like anything, the things that you're not good at, well, you know, there's, they make other humans for that that are good at those things. And yeah. this is no exception to that rule either. And you can now do ransomware as a service and requires you as, as the initiator and, and the nefarious actor in the situation, no, nothing more than hiring somebody to go do the thing that you want them to do and launch a ransomware attack. You want somebody spearfish, you want whatever it is, you can go out there and do it pretty, pretty easily nowadays. And with the advent of uh, distributed ledgers and uh, blockchain, depending on your cryptocurrency of, of choice, some of those become uh, much more difficult to trace. Yeah. It's, and again, I go, I go back to that market of one kind of thing, but, and we saw this in 2020 for sure, but you know, a lot of folks just assume I'm not important enough to be hacked. So it's just not a problem of mine. But I, I, well, I think, first of all, you're probably gonna have something to say about island hopping there. But then on top of that, the only thing you really need is for someone to care more to your point about ransomware as a service and, and it just being so easy at this point. The only thing you really need for risk is for someone to care more about hacking you than you care about not being hacked. And we saw that in something as simple as like the kid in Florida who took down their whole school because the school was running on zoom. And of course everyone was just like, um, uh, we'll do zoom. Okay. The end. <laughs> We call that like a business continuity plan. There was no business continuity plan yeah. in place whatsoever. Yeah. So it's like, is a school a place where you'd care about cybersecurity? No. But then someone cared just a little bit more about breaching it and it was successful. And that's really all you need, whether you're that or a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that, uh, that story because it, it rings true because you think about when we were growing up, it was the old if you had a test that you weren't prepared for, you pulled the fire alarm. Uh, yeah. At least I, I was told about that. Of course, I never partook in anything. However, I heard people talk about doing things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but now you think about that nowadays and it's like, oh, it's just, it's the same thing. It's just evolved. The tactic itself has evolved in a modern way. And now people are launching DDoS attacks against their school to take down <laughs> test programs. People are hacking zoom and just you know taking it offline so the entire school is now offline from any kind of telecommunications means yeah. and it's just kind of like you think about that and it's it's you know the, the profile of the attacker in that situation is not horribly aggressive right 
but it's still you 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 extrapolate that and you put on you know a, a black hat and you have different types of of goals that you're trying to accomplish and a lot of the same tactics apply there yeah and like like you said it, it just takes someone not caring and someone else on the other side of the coin caring more than the other and we see that time and time again uh we saw a major major name in consulting who prides itself on cloud security uh stand up a a cloud platform for one of their clients and uh their passwords were <laughs> sitting in open text, clear text in their storage for this. And of course, you know what happens next. You know, we saw what happened in Argentina with one of their major credit bureaus. And uh, amazing what happens when you put admin one as the password or you fail to change <laughs> the default password on your server. So it doesn't really matter what the position is and where they're sitting you know, people are still people. And that goes back, I guess, to the very beginning of our conversation being the weakest link. And so you look at that and, and that's kind of how these things play out across, across the board. So, One of the things, and we actually talked about this a few episodes ago in uh, ad techs, we were talking about CCPA and GDPR and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, that I like, that I know you kind of harp on a lot is data minimization as a, as a de-risking strategy. And that I think speaks right to that whole idea of like, you know, listen, guys, we are naturally flawed and the best way to solve our, for our risk is not to have the sensitive information. So like, just, can you talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, either just the general idea of, or the value of data minimization or some of the practical, you know, steps that folks can take? Sure. You know, if you think about it at its core, how do you reduce the vulnerabilities of what you're doing? That's kind of what it is at, at its core. And there's a couple of ways to do it. One, you, you can, you know, close up shop and stop, stop doing those things. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek because it's like, well, you know, people have to you know, continue to work and make a living and do these things. Alex, no shit. So, but that is an option. Just like you said about the FAA, you know, the safest way to avoid a plane crash, don't fly, yeah. turns out. And with the exception of Sharknado movies that are fantastic, <laughs> you know what? I'm not too concerned about sharks either. <laughs> uh, but, but while you can avoid planes and sharks, you know, as much as you want, it, it becomes a, a big hill to climb to say we just take out sensitive information from everything we do. Right. And, it, and it's difficult. It's a challenge. But, you know, there's ways that we do data classification nowadays. And the effect that that has with the, with the data tagging actually will change the way that that data in itself is stored. And so the idea is that it's stored in a more uh, secure or more encrypted manner or in some situations has an auto purge feature. So it's kind of like this message will self-destruct in however many days. <laughs> it's just, you know, all these things that we see in, in the comic books and in the movies and all that kind of silly stuff, there is an element where it, it, it rings true. And in this situation, one of the things you can do is set, you know, a certain type of data or uh, that's been tagged in a, in a certain way to automatically purge itself from your environment. And so there's that type of of thing that you can do. You know, there's all kinds of new tools out there to try to streamline the creation of new passwords that you're creating that are ultra complex in nature, keys that you can use with biometrics to unlock. You know, a lot of the major hardware manufacturers have their own native versions of that. Mm. You've got software, uh, certain software that runs across a whole different, you know, a variety of different tech stacks that allows you to do that in a more efficient manner, you know, but at the end of the day, 
you know, there's all kinds of implications there and I won't go into quantum computing and password hacking and the implications it has uh, until you want to talk about that some other time. But I, I guess the point is to answer your question on, on its face, there, there's a variety of ways to classify and automatically purge certain data and certain information from either yourself uh, and your own personal life and your own personal computer and your own personal network, or you can kind of expand that same philosophy out to you and your business and your clients. So that's kind of my perspective on that. Okay. I want to give you my hot take, which uh, if you're not a, I don't know why you wouldn't be an avid listener of my show, but if you're not, is a uh, straw man argument offered up for your uh, rebuttal or tear down. (laughs) So my hot take is that I think we've reached a point where the strongest security measure that, that humans have is our natural imperfection. And I, like I use the example of, of these new recaptures that, in fact, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who was like, what's the deal with these recaptures that ask you, like, is this a bicycle? Like, it's a painting of a bicycle. What the, f- is that, <laughs> is that real? And I'm like, I think the important thing is that you are sitting there thinking about it. Like that's the recaptcha, <laughs> not clicking the thing. Like that's, that's actually what they're going for. There is like, they're looking for the imperfection and the natural flaw of being a human being, you know, in meat space and uh-huh. being, like unable to navigate your mouse directly to its destination. And I just, I'm kind of in love with the notion that like the thing that makes us the safest could be that we're just full of flaws, <laughs> but I could be very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. So we, we have uh, a particular type of analytics that we do that's called user behavior analytics and it basically creates a baseline of what is quote-unquote normal behavior for, for you, Mitch. And, you know, if it takes you 18 clicks because you're, you know, still drunk while you're trying to navigate your cursor over the correct bicycle picture, and if that's normal, then that, that is the normal for Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, if I'm logged in and I see that all of a sudden, you know, it's clicked the first time every single time, I'm like, well, what the hell? Mitch has been fumbling around, you know, 18 times to try to click on the damn bicycle for the last, you know, year. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, he's able to do it right away. Is this really Mitch? And you start identifying anomalies uh, from what what is considered a baseline of a particular set of behaviors. And so, you know, most certainly we are flawed. Uh, Is it the, the safest thing? Maybe, you know, one man's failure is another man's success. Maybe. You know, I would say depending on the day, you could probably argue it either way. Yeah. But just just the the natural fallibility of humankind, I, I think, illustrates the fact that it, I, I go back to my, my comment earlier, where, where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, I think we saw that last week with a massive nation state attack on some of the most widely used software tools out there by some big names out of Seattle. And, you know, people are wondering, well, is it, is it okay to use the, their software suite? You know, I, I've used this for, you know, decades and decades and they're, they're the, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And it's like, well, I mean, it's as secure as software is secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, they, they spend a whole hell of a lot of time and money in making sure that those types of things and those applications are secure and done in such a fashion that they're as secure as possible. Like you said, where we are fallible and at the end of the day, you know, short of the T-1000 coming down and, and, you know, Skynet becoming self-aware, we're still the ones that are programming these things and building these things, right? And so 
with with our own fallibility. So, so is passed on to the software itself. Well, and and we're also the ones hacking, which I think is, you know, maybe an interesting way to close it out. And when you talk about that, where there's a will, there's a way it's like, we, we just breeze right past the notion of like, why is there a will? Because the, you know, the hackers, you know, hackers are not bad people. Hackers are bad people in the same way that grocery clerks are bad people. There are some, sure. And maybe most of them are turned into bad people by certain circumstances, but hackers are just on the fringe of society's, you know, intelligent, creative, contrarian people who can either be saviors of the universe or uh, Bond villains, right? And it's like the argument, uh, I think, needs to be made. What environments are we creating where folks feel incentivized to do something for selfish gain or for, um, you know, kind of uh, destructive manipulation versus doing a lot of the the White Hat stuff or anything that's productive? Because I mean, so much of what's happened in society as far as innovation, positive innovation and, and growth is arguably, you know, just hacking. It's hacking a, the way a, a certain thing has been done and doing it in, a, in an innovative way, right? Right. Is it evolving, you know, is it pushing things forward in a positive way? And it's kind of like the, the automobile paradigm, you know, it's, or was the creation of automobiles a bad thing because it put, you know, horse-drawn carriage manufacturers out of business? And it's like, well, yeah. I, I don't think so. The horses might be happy now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think your, your point is, is, is valid. And, and may, maybe that goes back to, you know, a fool with the tool is still a, a fool, mm. right? I mean, we've been given tools that we can choose to use for the betterment of humankind, or we can choose to use them for more selfish, driven, nefarious in, intents. And uh, I think it goes back to just human nature and what people are motivated by. And certainly from a teamwork perspective, you know, it's not only, you know, one, one person sitting alone in, in the, the basement trying to figure out how to do something nefarious. But a lot of the times these are massive, massive coordinated efforts yeah. where a group of people are being led to a very specific outcome. And uh, these are not amateurs, right? These are, well-seasoned teams that that know what they're doing so like any good consultant i, I would be remiss if, if i didn't answer and say it depends uh but <laughs> <laughs> i think i think in this situation is is no exception yeah speaking of consultancies i want to obviously uh thank you for your time and i want to give the opportunity to pitch your thing so by all means go ahead thank you thank you yeah so you know here at headstorm from a cybersecurity perspective, one of the massive things that we practice here is shift left security or security by design. And our perspective is that if we have the ability to weave the threads of security throughout all of our engagements, be them engineering and software related or data related themselves and making sure that we're you know, weaving that into every step of the process as opposed to a functory you know, step uh, at the very end, uh, we've noticed far more resilient, far more secure software platforms and solutions that we're, that we're designing and building on behalf of our clients. And then from a, from a security perspective, uh, as a standalone, you know, we, we believe that you know, security is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Different industries, different sizes of companies, different types of data that are handled by our clients is going to vary from, from place to place. And as such, so should your security posture. And that is one of the things that we offer here. And that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is that we offer 
very customized solutions for our clients, regardless of what industry they're in and regardless of what type of uh, data and sensitive data that they're handling. Beautiful. And, it, and you know, it makes total sense to me, right? It's like we've seen that as evidenced in a lot of uh, product development, a lot of business operations over the past 10, 20 or so years where people are starting to realize like the earlier you get everyone into the room to look at how something's being built, the better the outcome is going to be, right? Whether that's, you know, diversity, um, whether it's cybersecurity, I mean, anything, just the, the notion of just tacking stuff on at the end, or in many cases, not doing it at all, uh, just isn't going to fly. So I, I like the notion of, uh, of that. And the mental model has always stuck with me with other realms of the operating stack. So this makes sense <laughs> as well. So I like it. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Uh, always a joy to talk to you. Pleasure's all mine. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks again to Alex for his insight. Thanks to Ben Montgomery for the soundtrack. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Hot takes and hot guests are always a pleasure. Send them my way at Show on Twitter or telekineticshow.com. Till next time.